Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Nick. How many of you have ever felt discouraged? Do you ever feel discouraged from time to time? My guess is that you probably have. Kind of reminds me of the story of the army private who was training to be a paratrooper. So on his first mission, he was, uh, he was told to go out and they said, okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to jump out of the airplane, then you're going to count to 10, and you're going to pull the ripcord on your parachute, and then it's going to open. But if it doesn't open, you've got an auxiliary chute, you just pull the cord on that one on the front, and then you'll be fine, you'll float down safely, and there will be a truck there to pick you up. So the guy, you know, it's his first jump, he's, uh, he's excited, so he, he does exactly what they say. He jumps out of the airplane, counts to 10, pulls the ripcord, and nothing happens. So, okay, okay, no problem. He's got another one, right? So then he pulls the cord on his auxiliary chute, and again, nothing happens. So, so first, his, his main parachute doesn't open. His other parachute doesn't open. He's just tumbling towards the ground, and he says, man, what a bummer of a day this is. He goes, I bet that truck's not even going to be there to pick me up on time. He was pretty discouraged. He was having kind of a bad day. Here in Acts chapter 22, we are picking up the story of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys at a place where Paul is extremely discouraged. He's had a lifelong dream, and his lifelong dream has been to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people of Israel, his own countrymen in the great city of Jerusalem. And after many years of dreaming about this, his dream is finally uh, coming true. He's, he's there, he's in the holy city, and his heart is just full of anticipation and expectation and excitement for what God is going to do. He's sure that something wonderful is going to happen. But instead, everything comes crashing down. It's a big mess. Uh, it couldn't be worse. It's a disaster. As we're going to see today, Paul's efforts then to salvage this broken situation are only going to make things worse. Maybe you can relate to that. You've uh, messed things up before. You've, and, and then you've said, okay, now I need to try and fix this broken situation. But all your efforts to fix that broken situation only made it worse. You, you just dug yourself deeper into a hole. But as we'll see today in Paul's case, there's also a sense in which he only had himself to blame for it, which makes it all the, all the harder. And so we find Paul the Apostle now moving from discouragement to greater discouragement. Maybe you can relate to that. But here's what's going to happen. God is going to meet Paul in this dark place of discouragement, and he's going to give him hope. And in this, we're going to see how we too can have hope, even in the midst of our discouraging circumstances. The title of today's message is The Hope Quotient, and here's what we're going to see. First of all, we're going to talk about what discouragement does, then we're going to talk about the difference that hope makes, and finally we're going to talk about how to get it. First though, we're going to go through this text and we're going to see the story and all that happened. To get you back up to speed, it's been a couple weeks, here's what's going on. Paul is in Jerusalem. He came here because he, he wants to put to rest some nasty rumors that have been circulating about him. The rumors were that he was anti-Jewish and that he was going around teaching Jewish people to forsake the, the ancient customs of Judaism. That wasn't really true. Uh, he wanted to put those rumors to rest. And as a gesture of kindness also, he brought with him a large sum of money. This was a kind of financial aid which he had collected from the Gentile Christians in what's now Turkey and Greece. And he had brought that to the people of Jerusalem to help them because right at this time they were suffering a famine. 
Yet as Paul arrives in Jerusalem, in spite of all his kind gestures, he's greeted even by the Christians with a lot of suspicion. They don't take him seriously. And in a further attempt to kind of win them over, win over these Jewish people, Paul underwent a very expensive ritual in the temple and he even paid for four other men to go through this ritual with him at, at expense to himself. So however though, in the, there in the temple, some people recognized Paul and they falsely accused him of intentionally trying to defile their most holy place, the temple, by bringing Gentiles into it. This is something that was forbidden at that time. Now, this accusation was not actually true, but it did end up causing a riot, and the people were trying to murder Paul right there on the spot. Uh, the Roman military was on the scene, and they were able to intervene and save Paul's life. But once Paul got safe, he's there standing now on steps looking over the temple courtyard where this great crowd of people is who just tried to kill him. And he, he asked the Roman commander for permission to speak to the crowd and address the crowd. And, and they, they did. And that was what we read about in our study last time, a couple weeks ago, how Paul shared with this crowd the story of how he became a follower of Jesus and how God had worked in his life, how, how like them, he had been a zealous Jew. In fact, he hadn't wanted to be a Christian. He was a person persecutor of Christians, but yet even though he wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus came looking for him. And Paul came to realize that Jesus had truly risen from the dead, and Jesus was indeed the, the Messiah that he claimed to be. He was the Savior. He was even God himself come to us in human flesh. And this was all well and good. The crowd of people, it says that they, they listened to him, and they were completely silent. These people who had a few moments ago wanted to kill him, now they're listening to every word he says with bated breath. They're hanging on his every word. And Paul, at this time, is probably thinking, wow, this is going surprisingly well. I didn't expect this. And up until this time, you know, everybody's just listening. They're being attentive to what he's saying. They're listening to him talk about Jesus until Paul said one word which caused this crowd to erupt, to blow up like, a, like he threw a grenade into the crowd. And that one word was Gentiles. He said that God had made him a messenger to bring salvation to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Now remember, the whole reason for this riot, some people had accused Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple, which he hadn't actually done. But just the mention of that word, these people were so on edge, that just the mention of that word, the implication that God loves those unclean Gentiles just as much as his chosen people, Israel, well, these people found that outrageous, and they became very angry. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 22, verse 22. Up until this word, which is the word Gentiles, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Paul has been speaking to this crowd in the Hebrew language, which the Roman officials did not understand. And so they aren't exactly sure why this crowd is so angry at Paul, why they want him dead. They can only assume that Paul must have committed some kind of crime to make these people this angry. And if Paul's not going to tell them what it is, well, then they're going to have to get it out of him by force. And so they decide they're going to flog him. This is a way of extracting a confession through torture. Now, this flogging or scourging, as it's called in some translations, this is what was done to Jesus before his crucifixion. This is what we talk about when we talk about Good Friday, what was done to Jesus. They would use a special kind of whip, 
which uh, was kind of like a cat of nine tails. And in the ends of each of the tails of this whip, they would have things sewn into it or embedded into it, like pieces of glass, pieces of bone. They just tie knots in the end. And the, the idea was that as they hit the person's bare skin with this whip, the bone, the glass, the knots would dig into their flesh. And when they ripped it off, it would just open up their flesh and leave their flesh raw. It was extremely brutal. And they would do this to elicit a confession or a recantation. In other words, they would say, okay, here's your chance to recant what you said, or here's your chance to confess to the crime. And if you wouldn't do it, they'd hit you for a little bit with this, you know, this terrible whip and rip your skin open. And then they'd ask you again, okay, are you ready to confess? Are you ready to recant? It was a terrible form of torture. And that's what they're preparing to do to Paul here. We pick up in verse 25. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now the idea of personal rights or human rights was not at all nearly as developed in the ancient world as it, was, as it is in our time today. In fact, the modern idea that all people are endowed with certain liberties, with certain human rights, and that there is such a thing as crimes against humanity. This actually comes, this idea, which is now very popular in our world, it comes directly from the Bible. It comes directly from the Bible's teaching that all people are created equal because all people are created in the image of God. No matter what your race, no matter what your gender, even if you have disabilities, we are all created equal before God and we have inalienable rights. And so this is uh, not something that was taught actually by any other culture or society in the ancient world. It's something which comes directly from the Bible. In the Roman Empire, however, uh, not everyone had equal rights, but there were some rights which were allowed to Roman citizens, but not everybody had those rights. And unlike our society, not everyone in the Roman Empire was a citizen of the Roman Empire. To be a Roman citizen was a special status which had to be granted to you or which had to be inherited from a parent. But the great number of people who lived in the Roman Empire were not citizens of the Roman Empire. It was a special status which carried with it special rights and privileges. And one of these rights that came with Roman citizenship is that you could not be bound or, or tortured or imprisoned without due legal process. So that, that was a right of a Roman citizen, due legal process. And certainly you're not allowed to be scourged or tortured in this way. If, if anyone did those things, if any Roman soldier did those things to a Roman citizen, they would be arrested, they would be punished according to the law. So when this man hears that Paul's a Roman citizen, he's surprised and he immediately goes and talks to his supervisor. We read that in verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. There were only a few ways to earn Roman citizenship. One was by purchasing it, which was very expensive. The other way was to be granted citizenship as a reward for some act of service that you did for the empire. Paul's father apparently had gotten citizenship. We don't know how. It was probably in one of these two ways. But we know that Paul's father was a citizen because Paul inherited this by birth, is what he says. 
So verse 30, on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him, that's a Roman uh, official there, unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he, bought, he brought Paul down and set him before them. Hey, Pastor Nick here. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in just a moment, but I want to take the opportunity to personally invite you to join us this Christmas Eve, December 24th at Whitefields Community Church for one of our three Christmas Eve services. The services will be at 3 p.m., 4.30, and 6 p.m. We'll have a choir, special Christmas music, and a message about the incarnation, how God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ in order to save us. It's good news, and we can't wait to see you this Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 4.30, or 6 o'clock. Bring a friend. More information is available on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Merry Christmas. The Roman commander's job was to keep the peace. And so he says, okay, we got to follow legal process because this man is a Roman citizen. So he brings Paul before the Jewish ruling council, which is also known as the Sanhedrin, if you're familiar with that term. And the, the whole purpose of this was to have this whole matter sorted out through the proper legal channels. Now, the Sanhedrin was kind of like the Jewish Congress of that day. It had 70 members. It was also known as the 70. And prior to becoming a Christian, we know that Paul the Apostle, he was actually a member of this council. The reason we know that is because Stephen, you remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr, he was put to death in, we read about that in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. But Paul the Apostle says, referring to him, that he says, I cast my vote for him to be put to death. What that tells us is that Paul had a vote. He was one of the 70. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So for Paul, when he hears that he's going to be brought before the Sanhedrin, I imagine this is something which made him very excited. He was probably ecstatic. This is a group that he used to belong to. These are the leaders of this society. These are the lawmakers, the influencers. And he says, yes, perfect. Thank you, Lord. Paul had just had the opportunity to speak to a crowd of Jewish people in Jerusalem, but it hadn't gone well. Right? The situation kind of blew up in his face. And he never really got to say or make the point that he really wanted to make about Jesus because the crowd had freaked out and exploded after he said the word Gentiles. But now here he is. He's got another opportunity to speak about Jesus. And what more influential group is there in Jerusalem, in all of the Jewish world, than the Sanhedrin? What, more group, what, what group is there that is more knowledgeable about the scriptures than this Jewish Council, So he must be thinking, thinking, thank you, God, for this opportunity. This time, I'm going to do it right. This time, I'm really going to go for it. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. So let's check out what he says as he speaks to the Sanhedrin. Verse 1 of chapter 23. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. Now, to put this in some modern context for you, this would be kind of like if you were a pastor or a preacher and you got the opportunity to speak to a joint session of the Congress and the House of Representatives. This is every preacher's dream, right? Paul has probably been dreaming about this for years. Man, if I could only speak to that group the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. If only I could speak to them again, what would I say? He's probably been rehearsing it in his mind as he lay in bed at night falling asleep. What would I say? And he's probably already knows, he's probably already rehearsed it so many times exactly what he wants to say to these people about Jesus. Check out what happens next though. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Pow. 
just as Paul begins speaking, Ananias, the high priest, orders somebody to punch him in the mouth. What an insult. I mean, what a a terrible thing. Paul's claim of good conscience, he says, I've lived with good conscience all the days of my life, that offended the high priest. He considered Paul an apostate. He considered him a renegade. And so he orders him to be struck in the mouth, something which is actually forbidden by the Jewish law, but he did it anyway. Now let's see. Uh, Think about this. How would you respond if someone did that to you? You get up to speak to a group of people, and then as you get out the first line, somebody comes and punches you in the mouth. How would you respond? to that. Paul's going to respond in a, in a way which is very understandable, but in a way which he later regrets very much. Here's what he did in verse 3. Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? This is an outburst on Paul's part. Paul, here he is, he's reeling from an insult. He got punched in the mouth. And, and here he is, he's, he, he's trying to deliver the world's best sermon. This is a sermon that, of a lifetime. This is what he's been waiting his whole life to preach this sermon. And here's his chance. And as soon as he gets one line out, somebody comes and punches him in the mouth and just totally throws him off. You can imagine. And out of anger, he lashes out at Ananias, the high priest. And he calls him a whitewashed wall. See, that's the same uh, term, it's the same phrase that Jesus used when he spoke to the Pharisees and he called them whitewashed tombs. The idea is that outwardly, everything looks tidy and clean and perfect, but inwardly, there's nothing but rottenness and death on the inside. See, outwardly, this high priest has the appearance of holiness, but inwardly, he's extremely corrupt. Actually, the more you read about this man, Ananias, you find that he was actually later assassinated because he was an extremely corrupt man. So here he is, here's Ananias, the high priest, supposedly defending the law, supposedly judging other people according to the law, but yet he himself is breaking the law by ordering Paul to be struck in the mouth. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, that, this is what Paul's referring to. It was forbidden for a, a person to be struck without due process of law, and if they were struck, they would be struck on the back, not in the face. So Paul understandably is upset by this. Who wouldn't be upset by something like this? And he raises his voice and he shouts at the high priest. He attacks him with his words and says, God will strike you. Now I imagine Paul realized right away that he had made a mistake by doing this, by reacting this way. Here's this dream opportunity and now it's beginning to slip away and he kind of has himself to blame for it. Let's continue in verse four. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And immediately Paul apologizes for what he did. He says, guys, I didn't realize it was the high priest. You're right, I should not have spoken in that way to him. I should have been more respectful. You're absolutely right. Because of his hot-tempered reaction, This opportunity, which he's been waiting a lifetime for, this opportunity to be heard by the Sanhedrin as he talks about Jesus, it is quickly slipping away. Verse 6, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out in the councils, Brother, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and it is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So 
But here's Paul. He realizes at this point there's no way that he's going to get an honest hearing by these people. So he decides to kind of cut his losses and say, you know what, I need to do something to save myself before this council turns on me and tears me to pieces. So he notices that half the council are Pharisees, half are Sadducees. These are kind of the two main divisions in Judaism at that time. The Pharisees, despite their legalistic attitudes, which Jesus often addressed when he spoke to them, the Pharisees were kind of, they're kind of good guys, you know? I mean, they were the Bible believers of that day. They were a reform movement. They believed the Bible. They wanted to live according to what the Bible said. They took the Bible seriously. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they did not take the Bible seriously. They didn't take the Bible literally. They didn't believe in anything uh, supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. And certainly they did not believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in judgment day. And they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. They believed that all that really matters is to be a good person in this life because as they said, there is no life after death. So Paul was absolutely accurate in what he said. He said, it is in regard to the matter of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. That was true. He was on trial because of his belief in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But what he's doing here is a very clever way of getting out of a very difficult situation. And it worked. Verse 9. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, uh, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So a big fight breaks out between the members of the Sanhedrin. Things start to get violent. Once again, the Roman commander has to extract Paul from the situation in order to save his life. And your heart kind of has to go out to this Roman commander, right? Here he is rescuing Paul for the third time now. And they take him back to the barracks, the military barracks, and they're going to figure out, okay, what do we do with this guy next? And they place him in a holding cell for the time being. Now, if you're Paul... How do you think you're feeling right now? You're probably more discouraged, more disappointed than you've ever been at any other point in your entire life. In fact, we know that he is discouraged because it tells us that in the very next verse. Imagine how discouraged you would be if you were in Paul's shoes. Paul has lived the past 20 years of his life hoping for this opportunity. And he finally gets the opportunity. Surely for years he thought, if only I could be the one to tell, tell the Jewish people about Jesus. If, because I know the right way to present it. I know the right language to use so that they'll receive it. If only I could speak to the Jewish people about Jesus, they would surely receive it. If only I could speak to the Jewish leaders, the people who know the scriptures, I could show them. They would see that Jesus is the answer to all the riddles. And then he gets the opportunity and it blows up right in his face two times in a row. Nothing worked out the way that he had hoped it would. It must have been incredibly disappointing. And to make matters worse, there's the sense in which it's actually kind of his fault, right? It, it's kind of his fault that it turned out this way. I mean, you got to think, Paul, the kind of thing where you torture yourself afterwards thinking, if only I wouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Why did I have to mention the Gentiles when I was talking to that group? I should have known better. I should have just talked to him about Jesus and won him over to Jesus. And then we could deal with the whole Gentile thing later on. Why did I have to bring up the word Gentiles? 
or, or in the Sanhedrin. If only I would have just not reacted the way that I reacted. Yeah, the guy hit me in the face, but, but they also hit Jesus, and, and he didn't react that way. He didn't revile in return when he was struck. Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. If only I wouldn't have reacted the way that I reacted. If only I wouldn't have lost my cool. If only I would have just taken it, I would have been able to even be, speak to them more powerfully about Jesus and the radical difference that he makes in your life. Do you know how deeply Paul wanted this? He wanted it so deeply that in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, I tell you the truth, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because of the Jewish people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Messiah. Deep anguish, great sorrow, unceasing anguish. He was constantly burdened by this. It was something that bothered him. And, and so much so was he burdened by this that he said there in verse three of Romans chapter nine, he says, for I wish if only I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Israelites. This is like a loving parent. How many of you parents know exactly what this is like? Your child's sick and you just are overwhelmed with the feeling, if only I could be the one who was sick. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.